Hello and welcome to Minda Dialogue, episode number 171. This interview is with Caroline Rolfe, Global Director of Digital at GHD, providing premium hairstyling tools, most notably hair straighteners, for hairdressers and consumers. Caroline has driven a very progressive digital strategy for GHD, and in this interview she shares with us some of the key components of GHD's approach, including an inside look at GHD's social media strategy and the importance of advocacy, plenty of operational pointers and insights. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue. So today, uh, in rather less than sunny London, I'm with Caroline Rolf, who works at a um, a really interesting brand in the professional hairdresser space called GHD. So I had the chance to hear Caroline speak at the Internet Retailing Conference, and I was uh, very, very excited to get a chance to invite Caroline onto the show. So Caroline, tell us who you are, what you do, and as I always ask my guests, what is your mindset? Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Caroline Rolfe. I'm the Global Director of Digital for GHD, um, which stands for Good Hair Day, in case anyone uh, was wondering. Um, We are the leading brand for professional heat styling tools. Um, We're 14 years old, um, and we really set the um, industry alight with our uh, product when we came out with it 14 years ago. Uh, We were the first ceramic styling tool, um, heat styling tool. Um, It's a UK brand, um, but it's very much a global positioning brand. Um, I'm also the co-founder of a women's lifestyle website called runningandheels.com, so you can check that site out as well. Um, So, and that sort of adds to the the rounded approach of uh, what we do at GHG and then what what I do sort of outside of that. So I have two hats, as it were. My mindset is I've been at GHG for a year. Um, It's an incredibly successful brand, very much um, in the heart of uh, the consumers and the professionals, especially in the UK. Um, It's become almost a... um, a word to describe hair straightening so you wouldn't say to your right. friends in the UK can I borrow your hair straighteners you'd say can I borrow your GHDs um, so you know it's it's a real kind of brand that's at the heart of this nation I think um, and so I was very very interested to work with GHD um, I love a British brand I've been uh, I've worked with Bellstaff the, the fashion sure. brand which is a British brand Brilliant I've worked brand. with Links of London nice. a British jewellery brand um, and so I you know I love a good British brand and I love the opportunity to take a British brand globally and have success globally and I think the opportunity for GHD um, to take GHD globally very much lies in the digital space um, and the brand awareness um, and reach that you can create through digital channels so um, my role here is to really do that and and bring the story of the brand and the brand to life in the digital channels um, and both uh, for the professionals and for the consumer the end consumers for the product all right we're going to get into that but i, I did yeah. want to so you've been working a lot in in premium british brands yes. um but i did want to talk about your running running with heels um, running, in I, heels. running in heels so <laughs> tell us uh, tell us about that initiative 
Oh, so Running in Heels is um, it's five years old. It's a women's lifestyle site, um, and it's a collection of content um, for women who don't want to be um, sort of bombarded with celebrities or diets or whatever. Um, it's for busy women with busy lifestyles, so working women um, who want bite-sized content that's relevant to them. Um, so we focus very much on the kind of beauty, fashion, travel, um, politics, lifestyle, home, that sort of thing. Um, we, on a very small scale, have blended content with commerce, um, it, which actually a lot of sites struggle to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have uh, one single voice from our editor, who's my business partner, who um, collates the content um, from a, a network of over 150 journalists who contribute for free to mm-hmm. our content content um she edits it in our style um and then you know if we write an article about i don't know red shoes um then we will put an affiliate link onto you know maybe a a pair of red shoes that we've picked out um on netaporte plus we have our own curated shop which is a view of um what running and the running and heels woman would want to buy Mm. um it's my weekends and evenings job. Um, I'm the commercial director and co-founder, so I'm, I make it make money, basically. And, and it, it feeds into the GHD um, world because it's very much the same the same demographic, the right. same woman. Um, and GHD were very interested in me sort of carrying on, continuing that relationship oh. and that, that, that journey because... Um, it gives me the understanding of who our consumer is. Well, I, uh, on top of that, I think it gives you a, a real grounded understanding of what works in digital because, you know, there's something you're founded, so you have a real interest in driving traffic and, and figuring out uh, satisfaction of your customers that are coming to your site. I mean, I don't know if you consider them customers per se, but readers anyway. Yeah, I think we just, we we almost um, consider them friends because the people that read Running in Heels are probably like us, wanting the content that, you know, nothing gets on Running in Heels just because an advertiser has paid us to do it. Mm. Um, it it's all about how we, it's our curation of the world that we see, um, as myself and Alice, the, 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 co- the other co-founder. So, um, it's yeah, it's very much that kind of our personal world that's kind of grown out mm-hmm. um, into into a much bigger, better thing. So um, we don't. It's not a it's not a hard sell. It's a mm-hmm. uh, at all actually. Um, it's more of a kind of join our club type mm-hmm. thing. Um, and we because of that, we have an incredibly dedicated reader. Um, and again, that applies back to the GHD customer, if you th- if you will, because once they've bought into the club, once they've purchased their styler, um, we my role here is to really grow out that relationship because um our products last which is amazing um you know incredibly fortunate for the purchaser that you know so many people tell me that you know so many people in the uk have got a ghd story Mm -hmm. so they'll say to you oh i've got i bought my ghds eight years ago they're still working they're amazing Mm -hmm. and you know that's great but as a business that's not the best business model of course um so but as a business what we're trying to do is really acknowledge that emotional connection with your ghds and of course we'd like to say to them to every one of them individually well you must upgrade because our technology's got much better and it has and Mm -hmm. you know I learned that when I joined the company. I was I exchanged my eight-year-old straighteners for a new pair, and they and they made a massive difference to my life. But I still have to keep those old ones because of the emotional connection of uh, uh, that I feel for them. And I think what we're trying to really do with our digital space is is once they've purchased 
um, encourage that and continue that communication and that and, and that advocacy and that loyalty by providing content um, and immersive, interesting, valuable content um, for that consumer from the GHD point of view to continue the conversation. Yeah, presumably you're also adding in um, comparable or complementary other products alongside of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's obviously the aim and that's completely the reason um, that we have those uh, other categories. I mean, we've we, we've always had brushes and, and wet line products, um, but it's only in the last two years that we've had hair dryers and um, curling tongs and wands. Um, and, and they're an exceptional part of the business and they have the um, the, the performance um, and quality of, of the straighteners, but still, if you say GHD to somebody, they're not going to tell you, oh, they make hair dryers. Right. <laughs> um, and, and as much as we try, um, we'd never want them to either, because right. that's what you know we're known for our, our hair straighteners or flat irons, as you'd call them in the right. state. Well, so the the idea of planned obsolescence is something that is is done in other uh, other companies. Mm-hmm. So that's clearly not something you've had to do. And I think that in today's world, the customers are. are I mean, not only appreciate the ethics of not ruining the environment, but also, of course, appreciate the economic side of it, because if you can buy it and keep it for a long time, I get it. So um, you were talking about digital as an important part of your strategy, and, and especially in a premium or luxury space, digital is often a little bit of a complicated area, because there's this notion of well, how if H&M or some lower-class brand is able to do a beautiful image on site. How do you, as a luxury position brand in the same space, differentiate yourself? So how do you approach digital in a way to make your premium positioning more relevant uh, to who you are and against competition? Yeah, I think it's just, that's a super interesting question because I think, uh, I, and I don't think there's an answer because no. I think if there was an answer then, um, or if I had the answer, then I'd be a very rich woman. But um, I think it's it's a continuing journey. Um, uh, I think the, the luxury and premium industries um, were quite slow to market um, with with the whole digital space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're, they're, you know everyone's still trying to find their feet. I think some brands have done it incredibly well. I mean, I hate to be boring and reference Burberry because everybody does but you know they have they've done it incredibly well and they've they've opened up the brand to the point that they're comfortable with but being able to very quickly and very consistently get content out there um, that people want to engage with that's on super on brand and and still also incredibly shareable um, but if you look at their Burberry Kisses campaign from a couple of years ago for instance yes that's that absolutely is relevant to the brand and it were but the the people it got to probably aren't the people who are aspirational Burberry clients, Burberry clients. Um, but it was clever and it and it helped to inform and 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 set in the the Burberry brand to a wider audience mm-hmm. and I think you know we when we look at it um, for GHG when we look at social channels for instance and you know there are some social channels that skew slightly um, younger f- uh, for instance if we look at Snapchat and um, you know, I, I don't use Snapchat. You know, I, I've I've got it because I needed to know how it worked. But um, you know, it's it, that's not my kind of thing. But of course, um, we and it's not. It's probably not the GHD woman um, who we see her as 
kind of thing, or the Running and Heels woman, in fact. However, um, there is a there is a huge audience on that um, network who may be our future customers or our aspirational customers um, in the future, or maybe they even use GHD, but they borrow their mums or their sisters or their whatever, and that in the future they're the ones that are going to be investing and buying and engaging with us. Not, so, not to mention, I would imagine, from my knowledge, the younger female hairdresser who's also uh, maybe in cosmetology school quite apt to be a Snapchat user. Well, absolutely, absolutely. And it's funny that you say that because um, we, I think, haven't necessarily um, in the in the past acknowledged that in, in the same way as we've acknowledged our social our consumers mm-hmm. um, on social media. It tends to be an easier avenue. You think of the return on investment by driving you know, traffic and so on with the consumer. At the same time, and, and the other reality is the hairdresser industry isn't exactly the most digitally switched on population in the world. There are others that are much more. And so, you know, I know we're working at L'Oreal. It wasn't exactly a primary consideration, but I think today that's no longer the case. Oh, absolutely, it's no longer the case. I mean, I think uh, if you ask any hairdresser where and when they speak to their clients, they speak to them on WhatsApp or Facebook or Instagram or whatever. They they probably don't phone them anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, they probably message them or Insta-message them somehow. So um, I I think the, the hairdresser's traditional offline book has... Uh, of an or you know black book of contacts mm-hmm. is actually on their phone now um, and their way of engaging and communicating with their clients is by putting an image of a hairstyle they've done on Instagram and and collecting likes from from that environment so it's really really important that we support that piece as well because um, that's that's the kind of reach of the future and reach of the brand and, and that's the they're the areas that we want to be playing in definitely I want to get back to social in a moment but mm-hmm. uh, just before when we look at digital there of course there's the internet site itself there is uh, email and CRM can you talk us through how you've approached those two areas and where where your emphasis is in terms of how you deal with your website uh, e-commerce and your email strategy yeah, sure. Um, our email, again, is divided actually, um, and our, our whole CRM process is divided again into um, professional and consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, our sort of main approach on email marketing is consumer-based, but um, and in terms of the whole CRM piece, we do um, an element of segmentation. We're getting better at that. Um, but we very much my viewpoint is we've collected all this incredible data about consumers. We know what they've purchased, um, but we don't necessarily do the best job of cross-sell, um, which we've, we've just sort of put in. Mm-hmm. So uh, talking to them when they've just purchased and also... Um, uh, engaging with them once they've so, once they've purchased, um, knowing that potentially they're not going to purchase again for however many years. years exactly. Um, so, but wanting to keep the communication. So we've put in a lot more content based. Um, you know, our emails aren't about you know buy this now. Uh, it's more about this is the looks that you could achieve. So it's a bit more of a softer sell. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and we're we're also looking at the sort of the same way around the professional um, email space, being able to kind of give added value mm-hmm. um, of sort of styling tips and a sort of window into GHD um, and bring the bringing the brand alive in that way. This might shock you, but I you know I work with a lot of different companies and industries and and life insurance, for example. When you sell life insurance, kind of you sell it for once and you don't even sell it again. <laughs> and and to do you and and they have always thought well they didn't need to engage the relationship anymore along the way, yeah. and I think that they like a lot of us even if we have long gaps between purchase cycle, there is an opportunity to continue that relationship. What what about on an international level because you have a global remit. What is uh, how have you approached that differently? Do you see anything that's different in from market to market? I mean, obviously in in the UK we're so much big, GHD is so much bigger, but elsewhere, any give us some insights as to how you're approaching the global uh, the global world for GHD. In terms of email, or in terms of in, ter- in terms of digital. In terms of digital, yeah, it's 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 a completely different story from market to market. Um, uh, as you said, in the UK, um, we are a hugely um, well-known brand. Um, even guys have got a GHD story of how many they've bought for girlfriends or daughters or wives or whatever. Uh, Australia, we're fairly similar on that front as well. Um, South Africa as well. But there's 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 European markets and and the US where we are um, much less well known um, and our approach is um, trying to so the, the reason for our success in the UK was that um, we grew from professional advocacy so we we went into salons we put our straight, uh, straighteners into salons and we showed the success of the result that they could get with using our products and no other product before that had been able to achieve those results mm-hmm. in salon no consumer product sold to consumers i was i'm of the age where i had um uh, these these horrendous straighteners that um i had to put water into and leave on for however long to heat up and then they sort of steamed the hair and they lasted for about five minutes and then your hair would go back curly again um uh, just horrendous so hairdressers would never use anything that salons would never use those sort of products because they could get better results with a blow dry mm-hmm. um and we were able to show that you could get amazing results with ceramic straighteners we were then able to create this excitement around that that then that the professional industry then wanted to tell consumers about and then then they essentially were the sort of force behind it becoming a a consumer product Mm -hmm. um they're the ones that kind of built our brand for us through advocacy so because of that we we know advocacy and and um, sort of telling that story is the, is absolutely forms the heart of our digital strategy. So where we're not as well known in markets, we're trying to create a world in, on the digital and social channels where we can tell that story. Where mm. we can um, sort you of might have not have, you might not have ambassadors yet that are able to exactly. speak exactly exactly. But we've got we, well, we do we 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 pick into where we do have people because when we do yeah. when there's a GHD fan, whether it's professional consumer they they're a ghd fan for life and and they will talk about us so we're giving them the platform to talk about us in a social environment on our website ratings and reviews are super important for us mm-hmm. um, we work with bizarre voice our, our, who are our partner and they they acknowledge that we're um 
a kind of unusual brand in that front that we that there's it's such at the forefront of what we're doing that you know even when we launch a new product what we'll do is we'll pre-sample it to an environment where we can then collect reviews before we launch it so that when we launch it we've got reviews on the website that absolutely help with conversion of course for the end consumer if they're seeing people have already said it's wonderful um but what we do is use those reviews in every channel so we give them to our salespeople who go out on the road they're selling them into salons saying look this is already what people are talking about now and that's easy in the uk when people know about ghd but it's invaluable in other markets mm-hmm. where they're going in and saying this is all the stuff that people are saying about this product i know you've never seen it before but this is this you know this is what it does and this is what people are saying so it really helps form our strategy so when we get back to advocacy in a second but i have to give a little break as you know yeah. to uh, my sponsor tracker who is so kind to have uh, sponsored this podcast so tracker for those who don't know it's an influencer relationship management platform that helps brands plan and execute their influencer program end-to-end. Tracker helps identify key influencers in their sector, monitor in real-time their activity to optimize your engagement with them, to measure your impact, and also to manage your relationship with these influencers over time. So you're developing a long-term relationship, which is, we're going to talk more with Caroline, I'm sure, an important part of it. Tracker works with leading global brands across sectors, including luxury, beauty, and fashion around the world. It has offices in the U.S. and Europe, and it's available in 11 languages. And I really want to thank Tracker. I think it's a great service that really looks at influencer marketing in the in the right way, as in a developing of a relationship, not just sort of converting people immediately into sales. So, um, speaking about advocacy and, and and of course and the use of social, when 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 I listen to you at, at the conference, uh, I quote: "We absolutely know our clients shop from reviews. Advocacy is the heart of everything we do." And I heard that at the uh, IRC convention. So when you're when dealing with rating reviews and you use Bizarre Voice, which is a great service, talk us through the culling of the reviews, the positives and the negatives, and and you know because this is of course the sensitive topic. Uh, reviews are, are what help garner trust when there's enough authenticity to the reviews. So how do you approach that? Uh, well, actually, um, we've always been super. Um, keen to just have every review out there um you know whether negative or positive because we we believe it tells the true story um i'm not just saying that the it's 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 legally compulsory now um within i think it's uh, within the last couple of months it's been made uh there's been some legal rulings um and i'm not going to quote them because i'll probably get them wrong but but is that a uk uh, or a european uh, it's European um, and it's legal rulings around um, being able uh, around the way that you handle and display the um, reviews and also the uh, the way that you edit reviews um, and and also the way you use them. So you can't uh, you'd have to you have to quote them versus you know. Um, just reference them, right. for instance, those sort of things. I, I would, yeah. I'd like some films and books to, to help follow those same rules. Cause don't, yeah, I mean, just yeah. When you see those films, it's like, sensational, yeah, yeah, dot, yeah. dot, dot, dot. Sensational waste of time yeah, is what yeah, was yeah, meant yeah, to exactly, be. Exactly, or the film poster that says, that, that's showing five stars, but actually, yeah. um, you know, they're five hidden behind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, uh, that it's, it's absolutely imperative that, that that's the case. And you know what? Um, it helps us. Reviews are not just about selling. They're about guiding us as a company as well. Mm-hmm. You know, getting the consumer feedback is is invaluable. If a product's not performing for somebody, then we you know we need to know why. And actually, if a product's not performing more 
often than not, I would say probably 90% of the time, it's because of actual kind of consumers not understanding the usage of that product or it not being relevant, right for their hair type, for instance. Do you um, and then we're, able, then we're able to resolve that situation on the consumer basis and then we're creating, um, a, you know, from an unhappy customer, we're creating a happy one. Sure. So, do, do you cull your reviews from professional and, and consumers or, or do you mostly focus on the consumer side of reviews? When you say cull, we don't cull any reviews. Well, what do I mean, you mean, do you, do you separate them? Separate oh, them. Okay. For example, right. feedback yes. to your teams, yeah, sure, sure, sure. you know, professional feedback as opposed to... Sure. So um, anyone who's bought a product can review um, on our site. So uh, there, there are professional reviewers on there as well uh, because they, they're buy our products. We, um, I just want to make one but, clarification yes. that these are not people we're paying to review. A professional yes, reviewer yes, yes. could sound no, like no, you're paying no, them. Oh, sorry, so no, so hairdressers who hairdressers are, right, I just wanted to clarify, yeah. I thought we'd clarify that. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Yeah, hair, hairdresser professionals. Um, so, yeah, so so there are some, but, and we do, um, we are developing a flag so that people can shop actually from what professionals, uh, stylists are reviewing, um, but the majority are consumer-based reviews. Um, and we have an engagement with those reviews um, sort of in, in the public eye so that people can see sort of if there's any issues we can resolve those etc so it's it's very it, we do it we manage it in a very public way because we want people to um see the full story you know we, we don't mind if there's a negative review for something i mean um that we're, we're in a very lucky position that actually you know the the vast majority of our reviews are five star yeah. um well, so when oftentimes in other companies let's say the issue of transparency and, and, and being open, yeah. as you mentioned uh, for another brand, uh, Burberry's, before to this world of uh, insane uh, internet uh, reviews because you have lots of people saying lots of crazy things out there. What, how, to what extent with GHD was that kind of revolutionary? How, how did you get management to, you know, to really understand the relevancy of, of criticisms or is that just an obvious thing? I mean, obviously it might be a little bit tricky to talk about your bosses, but the, the truth is that it, it, it can hurt to hear these things. And sometimes, especially if you have to go back to the labs, you know your product got two-star rating. Mm. And to be able to say that in a way that's digestible by someone who spent two years creating that product sometimes is not so easy. Do you know, in all honesty, that hasn't been the case because everything that we launch is, you know, so highly tested and highly kind of uh, worked on for years and years and years that we've we don't have the we don't have the problems that you're referencing. But I, I've I've understood that in pre, you know and I've experienced that in previous um, companies. But what's really nice is that actually we um, we have a, a, quite a progressive CEO who really embraces digital. Um, he sees the value in in consumer feedback and insight in every step of what we do so not just the ratings and reviews piece but any commentary on social um any you know we have an insights department as part of our marketing team which is you know for a brand our size incredibly invaluable um to really know the consumer and that's that is literally because and i know every brand says it but we 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 build ourselves from from our customer base and that customer being professional and consumer we we wouldn't be a brand today if we did do that and because that's where we came from so we follow that um but our ceo is very very keen of 
you know, when we launched our platinum um, product, which is our kind of newest and best styler um, in July, you know, he was literally watching the reviews come in on the site because he was so excited by it. And he, he was the one pushing that out, going, let's get this in, let's get this on our POS material, on our on our emails, on our, you know, in our salesmen's hands so that when they're on the road they can talk about it. So, you know, and he was the one pushing that right from the top. So uh, we, everyone here kind of uh, acknowledges the value and any negativity that's come through, it's dealt with, um, as I said to you, because uh, in terms of, um, you know, uh, if it's not the right product for somebody to be using for their hair type, we'll resolve that as a solution. Right. When you, when, but, Carolyn, you're in the company. You obviously see the CEO in action, and you've dealt with that. It's great. So you, you, you're, you're part of that whole movement. But before you came, I'm really interested to find out, how did you suss out that the CEO is digitally switched on? I mean, I'm sure that was a, a key element for you to come in. You, you run your own site. You're very switched on with what's going on in digital. And and oftentimes a lot of companies struggle to to bring in someone of your caliber, your knowledge, because it just they just don't get it. So how did you understand the digital culture and the openness to what you're all about before you arrived? Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Actually, my CEO joined uh, about three weeks after I did. Oh, um, so it's slightly different, um, but um, I can answer the question on the behalf of we uh, GHD are owned by Lion Capital, um, which is an, an investment company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, We like brands. They're very good at that. Very good at brands. Um, and actually, um, they sold... Um, Jimmy Choo to Labelux, and I used to work for Labelux, so hence the connection. Um, so I, I knew of them and I knew of their approach, um, and they knew of me and my approach, and I think uh, they they are very digital-focused. Fo- I mean, the, the, the head of Lion Capital is incredibly savvy on digital um which is a great thing and a, and a scary thing at the same time because you know i know that literally anything we put on any social channel in any market he sees um because that's his touch point with the brand he's mm. got many many brands but he he's always on when it comes to social mm. um and so we need to be at the top of our game because he's seeing it so, so that, that, that would speak to an article that I, I wrote last week about the fact that on the board you should have digitally switched on people. I want to talk one last topic uh, before we, we cut off, Caroline, which is uh, your social strategy. And you've got a, a burgeoning, strong, vibrant community online and Facebook and, and Instagram. We mentioned Snapchat too before, but and maybe even Twitter. Talk us about how you separate and segregate your approach on the social media you, you've chosen. Yeah, sure. And I, I think it's, it's again, um, as I said earlier on, on one of my answers, it's, it's an ever-moving um, beast. I mean, I, I guess I, um, we, you know, with my, uh, along with my marketing team, um, we have our core channels, which are um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. Um, and they are different in, this, in the fact that we... We use all of them to create the GHD world. Um, we Twitter is more of a customer service channel. Um, YouTube is invaluable to us in the in the how to space, um, of course, because that's what people want from us. So uh, where we're creating content, we um, video content that goes on there, um, and then we use the other social channels actually to drive to to YouTube. 
and we actually use our display marketing to drive to YouTube as well um, to have more of a kind of immersive brand experience on um, with our products on there um, and then we have a very strong influencer strategy where we work with partner influencers bloggers etc to create content for us across the different channels in which they specialise, so YouTube or Insta or Facebook. Um, we partner with them, and then we, we obviously output ourselves as a brand. Um, Facebook's probably our lead channel in terms of where we get the most interaction and the most, and we sort of build the more world of GHD, um, but that's fast becoming, probably evolving into Instagram. Um, the difference is you can probably do more with Facebook in terms mm-hmm. of more immersive, more regular, you know, but with Instagram, it's it's a, what we create is, or what we try and create is a beautiful snapshot of, of GHD or an inside of GHD. Um, so you know a stunning hairstyle or or whatever um and i think the the world we've created on that is is a is the sort of best of ghd as the idea um we're ever moving actually into other channels we're we're actually re-engaging um with uh with pinterest which was off the off the board for a while but i think um, you know, my personal opinion, and I may be completely wrong, I think that the way that Instagram in the last year especially has projected, you know, it's just gone crazy. Um, what it does is it, give you, it gives you that instant, um, the same with Snapchat, um, Periscope, MyEye, etc. They're giving you that instant piece of a brand, whereas Pinterest actually gives you more of a creative, inspirational collective. Mm-hmm. And so I think people are actually going back into that and it's mm-hmm. becoming, especially now they're making it commercial commercialized with the with the blue pins and all of that sort of side of things so i think there's an element of of pinterest that's really interesting at the moment Mm -hmm. um what we're just doing and we're really on the kind of you know right sort of dipping our toe in is um is more of the live stuff so the periscope and the Mm -hmm. my eye um we had some some crazy ideas that we tried out Uh, there was a a recent trade show called salon international over at the excel center in london um which is really sort of the biggest hair show uh in europe for uh it's sort of annual hair show uh we had people on stage doing um hair demos um and we were we were putting that all on periscope um and then we also had uh, a few of them um gopro'd up and they were um they had gopros streaming directly to my eye so it was a real kind of literally bird's eye view of of creating a hairstyle um and and where where that was massively relevant is of course that was for the for the industry so it's on our professional channels and it's professionals watching professionals create styles and learning from that so hugely i think i think periscope's going to be or that or periscope or whichever one survives or whichever one becomes the main one um I, i imagine it'll probably be periscope but who knows um I think that's really the way that we can create much more of an immersive experience because we have the you know we have people doing doing hairstyles with GHDs all the time, yeah. so we have that opportunity right. to to really open that Constant up. And, and you mentioned it's an evolving space, and and one of the things that's evolving, of course, the business models of the different social program uh, social platforms. So, to what extent is pay to play a reality for you, and you drive your social strategy? Yeah, excellent question. And, and um, I think if you'd have asked me that even three months ago, the answer would have probably be different. Uh, you know, again, completely moving space. Um, we, 
we acknowledge that we have a purchase consideration journey as a consumer that people don't just we're not a 20 pound bracelet that somebody sees or a or a you know a 10 pound accessory or or a spontaneous something we even though um you know most of our most of our women could or, or there's an element of our women who could if their hair straighteners broke afford to pay the the price that as are the next day and buy a new pair but they would probably think oh hang on it's christmas in a couple of months i'll put it on my christmas list mm-hmm. there's a longer it's a weird one because it's it's there's a it's there's a fun there's a, there's a funny line between an essential and a nice to have mm-hmm. that maybe that they would have a different justification process for a handbag or a pair of shoes or something i certainly would um prior to prior to joining of course um so i think we need to hence the reason this the telling the story of the brand is so important mm-hmm. and the immersive experience of the brand because it depending on where people are on that journey they need they, they want the value from us to see mm-hmm. the creation and the world mm-hmm. of ghd um and i think social is really the place that where that happens the most um and and there's the cool points of of, of seeing all this great stuff even if you've got ghds seeing how to create new stuff mm-hmm. with ghds but presumably um, that means yeah, sometimes it means paying to have the exposure at the right time in the yeah, cycle. Yeah, so for me it's paying for the brand awareness and for the uh, engagement and the um, and the, the connections versus paying for the sale. Um, sure. I, I very much see the sale as, as kind of low down on the, on the list of objectives for social. Um, it's very nice when you see on your Google Analytics that you've got you know, a sale straight from Facebook and blah, 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 but actually we're not that brand. Um, we're, uh, we, you know, we're not a buy it now brand. Um, so it, it's much more, as I said, about creating that whole brand experience for me. Yep. Um, which me... obviously clashes with the the e-commerce side of what I do, of course, because yeah. I look after the e-commerce world as well um, for GHD. But we, you know, we have the 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 CPA channels that are sure. that are much more effective at that, mm-hmm. and, and much more to use a, a horrible marketing term, lower down the the purchase funnel um, in terms of conversion. So. Um, I think you know. I think the concentration social-wise is definitely much more about the immersive. All right, brilliant, Caroline. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been great to listen to you and learn some things. Tell us how someone can uh, track you down or con- down. <laughs> no, and connect with you. Sure, uh, many ways. Um, obviously, uh, there's the GH, all the GHG channels. Um, mm-hmm. So ghghair.com. Um, go there, and you'll find all of our um, different handles, etc. Um, great. And then runningandheels.com. Sure. Um, obviously, go check that out. Um, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, send me a message. It's just it's Caroline Rolf. Uh, it's the picture of uh, of me with the Arsenal logo on the, in the background. <laughs> a Gunners um, fan, are yeah, you? I'm a big big football fan. Yeah, which clashes completely with working in the world of hairdressing. And, and, and luxury but well, it's quite I mean, fun yeah, there's some good hair out there yeah yeah the, the, some football hair yeah exactly exactly um, and um, and then yeah LinkedIn uh, tweet me whatever um, and I'm crolf one on Instagram if you want to Instagram me Great. well I'll put all that in the show notes thanks for coming on the show Callie looking, looking forward to staying in touch no problem it's been a pleasure thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, that's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes, that really makes my day. Happy trails, and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray. 
The ridges in our palms make colors blend and look ugly in the end. But they're pretty in their own disgusting values. We'd hang our portraits in the hallways, make our house guests cringe. Oh, I wouldn't care about the best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.